Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for May 13th, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, This Was Our Destiny. have offered the same opinion of them all. Over his toast and coffee that morning, Michael suggested too easily for my comfort that the perpetrator was absolute evil. From the beginning, destined for his moment of infamy and his fate in the flames. It reminded me of one of my father's sermons when I was a child or a young person. I have only small snatches of memories of his messages, but I remember one sermon title, The Saddest Man Who Ever Lived, Judas. He had no choice. He was part of God's plan. With the divine drama set from the beginning of time, someone had to play every part. So someone had to be the betrayer right? Well, I wasn't a deep thinker in those days, but had I known the word ironic, I might have recognized how ironic it was that playing the part God had designed for you, how tragically ironic that doing the will of God could land someone in hell forever. But that was Judas's fate. Poor guy, saddest man who ever lived. That's just more than I can bear, folks. I do not believe it. Go down the hall of history, name a hall of shame, and there would be far too many names, unspeakable horrors, unthinkable betrayals, unbearable pain, yet I cannot name any of them absolute. I will not. Our humanity is too complex. The mix of the genetic, which we are only beginning to vaguely understand, and the environmental, whose sometimes ungodly impact can devastate a human spirit. These, the nature and the nurture, can be a deadly cocktail of poison to the human soul. Actions can be pure evil, but people are not pure in anything. None of our actions, none of our motivations. But religious faith ought to teach us a hopeful realism. The hope of faith immersed in the reality of science. 23 pairs of chromosomes may allow someone to become a monster made of experience and response. But fate is not a word of faith. Our futures are not determined. They never have been. God makes no one a devil. Not Dahmer, not Hitler, not Judas. Not a single one of those mothers 
held her child and dreaded their destined darkness. Our mothers bring us into this world with hope and like a good mother enduring a similar, similar labor of love, God bears us through the valleys of the shadows in this world and the next. And because love never dies, there is always hope. The future is always open. We are radically free. Dahmer, Hitler, Judas, you, me. John Calvin, yes, the Calvin of predestination fame, disagreed with me. Calvin said, we are not free. We are so enslaved to sin, he said. We don't actually make our decisions. Sin makes decisions for us. In a not so dissimilar way, ironically, a lot of scientists these days are saying the same thing. Our decisions are determined by our genes. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, famously calls them our selfish genes, which I think John Calvin, the great Swiss reformer, would appreciate. Selfish genes. You might think you have freedom, Dawkins says, but somewhere deep down in the cauldron of the evolutionary pressures that are always boiling inside our genes, we respond to life's challenges and opportunities, not out of free will, but just as highly complex machines. It's just all reflex, instinct, mathematical formulas of probability and chance encased in a billion intric intric intricately entwined neurons. We're just arrogantly naive enough to think we're pulling the strings. Stanley Klein is a, a physicist and a professor of vision science at the University of California, Berkeley, who says this may not be exactly right. In an interview entitled Free Will and God in the Quantum World, Klein says science is very reductionist. It doesn't have much room for free will. Quantum mechanics, however, achieves that. Now, I won't bore you with Klein's understanding of how the weird world of quantum waves and particles achieves a measure of free will, but I'm glad some of our most advanced science is helping some of our most advanced scientists think again. If not for all that quantum peculiarity, we might all be Calvinist or scientific determinist throwing up our hands, freed of all responsibility, claiming the devil made me do it, or just as bad, just in my genes. I do not believe, folks, that Judas had no choice, that he was just playing his part in the cosmic plan, that his role enacted for the sake of your salvation would destine him to hell forever, I do not believe it. Though some would claim to the contrary that my opinion puts me in direct opposition to Jesus, who says in the text Amy just read, not one of my disciples was lost except the one destined to be lost. Of course, it's possible to read the Bible this way. 
connecting words and phrases from disparate sources, making connections with somewhat ambiguous references, asking the Bible to serve as a kind of giant mystical dot-to-dot -dot of divine revelation whose message is available only to those gifted enough to connect all those dots. In the book of Acts, for example, we read that the Apostle Paul preached to the believers that Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, through David, foretold concerning Judas. Now, most scholars dispute that all of the Psalms were written by David, but Peter quotes chapter and verse to defend his interpretation. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be desolate. So there you have it. Proof in a proof text that Judas was destined to betray his Lord because the Bible says his homestead was to become desolate. Of course, you have to interpret that the psalm is referring to Judas, and you have to interpret that to become desolate means what what become desolate means, neither of which it seems to me is obvious on its face. But people put those kinds of quotes together and connect them all and say, the Bible says. The several other biblical allusions confirming the predictions that Jesus was destined to become the man of perdition are just that clear. As my grandfather would say, clear as mud, right? With a critical eye, one also needs to be willing to recognize that perhaps all of those red letters of Jesus, you know, those words in the Bible attributed as actual quotations, may not all be the verbatim words of Jesus. Written many years after he died by writers who were not eyewitnesses in a culture that was not literate, and not technologically equipped with any recording devices, our scripture texts were written by creative writers who poured their own personalities into their prose, just as modern writers do. The Gospels reflect the theology of the writers and were written for the intent of encouraging faith in Jesus. They were not written to record history. So was Judas destined to be lost? In my view, not if that means he had no choice in his life. Not if that means the die was cast before he was born, that he was simply following his predetermined path. That is a cruel unthinking understanding, but it is an understanding of Judas and of God that is prevalent on the street. In the common vernacular of the everyday theology that passes at the water cooler, in the coffee shop, you know, the Bible says. Ironic, I was sitting this morning at Starbucks from about quarter till seven working on this sermon, and the barista there, I didn't know she knew I was a pastor came up to me at one point and she said, tell me where in the Bible it says that thing about, um, you know, God grant me the, what does it say, God grant me the serenity to accept 
You know, it's that prayer of Reinhold Niebuhr that you just quoted. Where in the Bible does it say that? I know it says that in the Bible. And I said, well, no, that's called the prayer, the serenity prayer, and it's not in the Bible. A lot of things are not in the Bible that make their way in the Bible and in our consciousness and in our collective corporate consciousness, and that's the way they are. And Judas was destined because the Bible says, doesn't it, somewhere, does it? Judas was destined only in the sense that I might say Amy and I were destined to be together from high school on. That we were destined to become your pastors and to serve you for the last 18 years. That we were destined to raise our boys here, letting them spend their entire school careers in the same public school system. Looking back, and from this vantage, it just seems so right. It seems that it must have been planned. How could it have been any other way? We were destined to be here. Was Judas the saddest man who ever lived? He is a fascinating character undoubtedly twisted by the complexities of religion and politics and culture, those forces coming together as they often do in surprising and sometimes tragic ways. And he is a person of folklore and fascination, a persona of history made to become the villain of all villains. Perhaps his intent was wicked from the start, or perhaps as various thinkers have imagined, Judas was actually the most devout of all the disciples, the most impassioned follower, the most convinced that Jesus should be the one whom Judas thought Jesus had been telling him he was to be. Perhaps Judas really believed Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the revivification of the great King David, sent by God to throw out the oppressing Romans and reestablish the kingdom of God on earth. Perhaps Judas thought it was his role to push Jesus into his destiny. And by betraying him to the Romans, he would put that divine plan into action once and for all. Judas may be the saddest character who lives destined to live forever in the unforgiving estimation of human beings who always seem to need a scapegoat, a villain, an ultimate en enemy. But the saddest person who ever lived is the one who believes her fate really is sealed. The one who believes he has no hope, that change is not possible, that the future is without possibilities. That's the saddest person who ever lived. To be sure, life is not fair. Some people's lot is more difficult than others. The trajectories of our lives are influenced by a host of factors, IQ, and the predisposition or not of talent, and genetic proclivities for hard work, or procrastination, even the physical features of height and weight and facial form, the hard reality is that our world is kinder to attractive people. 
As our friend, the late Dr. Ken Godwin always reminded us humorously, but with a lot of truth, the most important decision you will ever make in life is how well you have chosen your own parents. And then, of course, there are our experiences, which we cannot choose, but only respond to. But no one is destined for poverty or a life without possibility. With Judas in our background, it is my job to remind you that the future is not closed unless we close it. God has made us radically free. And with Jesus always in the foreground, it is your job as the church to make sure that this is the case for every single person. It is your job as the church to work for a culture that supports the least of these among us, not as a trickle from the top down, but as justice that flows to all like a mighty water. It is the job of the church to demand systems and structures that free people from the fears and the isms that keep people down. Racism and sexism and ageism and Islamophobia and hatred of the immigrant and the scarcity mentality that says good fences make good neighbors. No one is fated. No one. It was the dream of Jesus that through our own hands we might bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That one day, looking back on our culture, we might find a people who love and provide for all people. And we might say, yes, this was our destiny. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.